You get his design on your life. I mean, you give you give God your dreams, you know, and then he gives you back the thing that's ordered by him. And it's it, it may resemble your dreams a little bit, but it's so much different and so much better. Today's first-person guest is a talented musician who blends many genres into his own unique style. Buddy Green will join us today. Hello, I'm Wayne Shepard, looking forward to introducing our guest to you in just a moment. You know, people from all walks of life join us on First Person. Our desire is to learn how God has reached into their life and called them to serve Him. All of these stories are archived on our website, so if you want to go back and catch up on a story you may have missed on the radio, you can do that at firstpersoninterview.com. You can even download First Person as a podcast through iTunes and take it with you. Take the time to visit us online at firstpersoninterview.com. Well, Buddy Green grew up in Macon, Georgia, so his musical style is a hybrid of country and bluegrass and folk and gospel and traditional blues. He's also one of Nashville's premier harmonica players. I've known Buddy for many years and enjoy his music immensely, but on a visit to Nashville recently, I wanted to learn more about his personal story of faith and calling. So I paid a visit to his home, and we sat down to talk. Uh, You know, I'm a product of the Deep South, so, you know, like many uh, from there, I was raised in the Southern Baptist Church, and um, my mother was a churchgoer. She was a religious person from the time I knew her, and my father kind of went along with things, um, but we were, you know, I was in church every Sunday and every Wednesday night, and every mm-hmm. Sunday night, you know, we were just faithful churchgoers. I don't want to get ahead of the story, but did it stick? My sort of take on things back then was that um, what the church had to offer was uh, a salvation message, which I took to be, uh, all right, if I'm going to sign up for this, I got to make a public profession. In other words, I got to walk the aisle and stand up there with the preacher get and then the check get, mark and, yeah. right, and yeah. then get baptized and then start trying harder. Hmm. I mean, that was sort of what it's, but the way it was coming to my little, you know, mm-hmm. uh, seven year old ears. I think it was, I was about seven when I did that. And by the time I was 13 or so, I was, you know, I was already experiencing my first significant rebellion, you know, with peers and, and reckless friends. And so I felt guilty. And I remember I went to another meeting because I thought, well, it's time to rededicate or (laughs) time to try this one more time. And, uh, and I remember that, uh, experience was more of, okay, I'm going to try harder than I did last time. And, um, it lasted about a week, you know, and, and I've, and by this time, I think we had we had a little bit of a troubled family. My my parents' marriage was was rough. You know, by the time I was an adolescent, I was just there was a lot of internal pain that I was dealing with, and I didn't know where to take it. And um, I don't know if you're if it's your website or one of your album covers in the past where there was a picture of you and I think your brother, and it just looked like such you know just a couple of little boys. Yeah, well, we were in, innocent little boys. <laughs> You know, I mean, on the outside, it all looked fine, but I mean, I really was struggling uh, internally with a with just all kinds of questions and everything. So, but by the time I was an adolescent, I just felt like the adult world didn't have any answers for me. And you know, this was the late '60s, and it was a time of throwing off authority. And as soon as I could leave home, go off to college, man, I was ready to, you know, turn my back on everything my parents stood for, their religion, all that. And so, um, that was a conscious choice. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. And I was, you know, I, I just 
I was rebellious. I wanted to experience all the things that they said I couldn't experience, you know. So, you know, that was sex, drugs, and, you know, anything, you know. Long story short is by my mid-20s or so, I was already married and divorced, and um, I had a bleeding ulcer. I mean, I was just, all the all the bad choices I were making were piling up on me. You know, at least inside again, I was getting humbled enough to where I was thinking, you know, I, I really am not doing a very good job of figuring this out on my own. So I sort of fancied myself an existentialist or something. I had a college education. And <laughs> but Isn't I, there a line in your song, something about an educated fool? Yeah, I was definitely an educated <laughs> fool. But I, I realized that I had rejected a lot that I really didn't know much about firsthand. So I started sneaking back into church and listening to sermons. And I mean, and I really was sneaking in. I, and I, I, knew, I knew the drill, so I would show up 15 minutes late so I didn't have to greet anybody. I, oh, I'd sit okay. on the back row and... I'd listen to the sermon. I didn't go to my home church where I'd be recognized. I went to a Presbyterian church where I heard that the guy at the pulpit really believed the gospel and preached it. So I wanted to go there and hear him. And he, he really did preach a great gospel message. And he didn't give invitations at the end. So I didn't have to worry about that pressure. <laughs> but what he did do was say, let's bow our heads and pray at the end of his message. And that was my cue to get up and leave so I wouldn't have to shake Boy, anybody's you were already working the system, weren't I you? I was working it, man. But I was I just wanted information to think about. Mm -hmm. So I, I would leave, and I was also starting to attend a Bible study. And again, I could do it very surreptitiously. Nobody there knew who I was. I just got invited to it. I went and checked it out. And it was a bit like an AA meeting. Um, you know, there was a bunch of riffraff there like me. And, you know, everybody, it started off with everybody having coffee and smoking mm -hmm. cigarettes and now, are you in music at this time? I was in music, yeah. I was, Professionally? Uh, you could call it that. I was <laughs> eking out a living playing clubs and things like that. Huh. And um, so so I would go to these things, and and it was really a great experience because it, was, it felt safe for all of us to ask questions that we would never ask in church. So, you know, we were asking questions about sex, smoking pot, and all the stuff that we were doing and didn't want to give up. And so, and the guy, to his credit, was great. He was not an alarmist, and he would just say, well, you know, it may not say anything about pot smoking in the Bible, but it does say something about our bodies. Let's go see, you know. So you didn't feel condemned? No. He would take us to the Scriptures and say, now here's what it says. You go home and you think about it, you know. So that's what I would do. And it was this was a, a process that lasted really about three or four years. And in the middle of that time, I met my wife. Uh, Vicky, and we started dating, and she was a great person and so much better than the, you know, stripe of people I was hanging out with. So I wanted to be better for her, and it, and I would find that I, you know, I could put on a pretty good show around her, but when I get away from her, I would just resort to my old ways. So now I start dealing with my own hypocrisy, and um and I was really uh, a slave to my sin, to the things that, the bad patterns that were in place that I couldn't do anything about. So, so what Paul writes about in Romans 7, the things I don't want to do, I do. The mm -hmm. things I don't want to do, uh, the things I want to do, I can't do. You know, that, that was really weighing on me. And I knew exactly what he's talking about. So for how long did that go on? Oh, it was probably a couple of years while I was dating her. Um, but I remember one night coming back from one of those Bible studies and and I uh, lived by myself in a little depressing little one-room apartment. I walked in there, and I just, I, I, I don't know if I just bowed my head or got on my knees or what, but I prayed, and it was 
first time I can remember just praying to an invisible God and like he was there and just saying, I don't know if you're there, but I'm starting to think that this stuff is true, that your son is the only son and he was, he died on a cross for my sins and the world's sins and he's rose from the grave and he's alive today. And if that can help me, then I'm, I'm ready. Come on in. I mean, it was that kind of prayer. And all I knew is I meant it. And, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, the next day I became Francis of Assisi. It was like, <laughs> but the next day I just knew that I wanted to believe. And every day after that, I wanted to believe. And, and um, you know, I, I started getting sort of a hunger to read the Bible and understand it. And, you know, uh, to sum this all up, um, I shortly after that asked uh, Vicky to marry me. She said yes, and we got married and within six months. And um, I got a job with Jerry Reed that eventually moved us to Nashville, where we started going to church for the first time. So that was all within about a year of my conversion. And once we started going to church, and it was really a really good church, we just started, you know, growing in um, through Bible studies and fellowship, and you know, we just became a part of the Christian family. So no looking back. It really wasn't any looking back. I was so thankful to be delivered from the stuff that was holding me back, and um, and so that really, you know, that's the that's the conversion story. There's a whole lot that's <laughs> happened on the hills. There are of that. a lot of people that God brought into your life. I'm assuming that were instrumental along the way. And, yeah, I tell mean, me about one of them, real quick. Well, I mean, Scotty Smith, you know, was uh, really the first. Um, after that initial Bible study, where I was really, you know, sort of a skeptic and a searcher. He was the first Bible teacher I had as a believer. And um, the founding pastor at founding pastor Christ, Community, Christ Community, Franklin, yeah. Tennessee. And he's, you know, he's one of my best friends today. And we've walked together my 30 years of faith, practically. Um, he knows me not as well as anybody. And I know him pretty well. And, and he has always been a grace teacher uh, in my life and somebody who, who's not only taught me a lot about grace, but about the kingdom, about our purpose. Um, and all along the way, I mean, he's one of these guys I have just never felt condemnation from Scotty. He's always been a, an encourager and somebody who, you know, uh, would point me to the cross and, and to an empty tomb and say, that's, that's where our hope is brother. You know, you got to thank God for oh, friends like that. Man. And I've, I've got many more Steve Brown. I mean, I mean, just, just good teachers like that. And then great friends like, uh, you know, well-known ones like Bill Gaither and all, but then so many that I've just met through going to church or being out on the road. Jeff Taylor, sheesh, you know, I couldn't ask for a better roadmate than that guy, and they're just a great friend, and we, we're we iron sharpening iron. I was I just thinking that same verse myself. Yeah. That's how God does it. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not a solo ride, thank God. <laughs> More with Buddy Green coming up today here on First Person. Stay tuned for the second half of our conversation. One of the ministries I've been able to spend time with recently is Operation Mobilization. OM's mission is to mobilize people to share the knowledge of Jesus and His love with every generation and every nation. OM pioneers and leads initiatives to redeem lives and rebuild communities and restore hope. And one of the ways they do that is through their ship ministry. And within the next few weeks on First Person, you'll learn more about this vital aspect of the OM ministry. 
And there's more online at firstpersoninterview.com. My guest on First Person today is Buddy Green. And I guess, what is, is this your man cave? What is this here, Buddy? <laughs> yes, it's the man cave. It's a pitiful version of one. But, you know, it doesn't take much to please a man. <laughs> it's a working office studio. It is. Uh, it's, it was formerly a studio um, to the, the people that owned it before. And they had this wonderful um, full basement that, that they used as a studio. I was just looking for a space that would contain Buddy World. And um, <laughs> so, you know, uh, my assistant has an office, the next room. This room here kind of doubles as my office. And also, uh, it can be a family room. We've got a TV down here. And yeah. it's a practice room whenever I, you know, I'll have some musicians over here and we'll jam and practice and rehearse and things. So. Got your little case of harmonicas right over here to yeah. the side. And there's, uh, as you never can see, far away, are they? <laughs> no, they're not. But as you can see, there's not much uh, order to the madness. It's just uh, <laughs> that's it's <okay>. mayhem. <laughs> that's all right. That, that shows you have a creative mind. Isn't that what they say? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's definitely evident. <laughs> When did music come into your life? We we heard your testimony. When when did music begin for you? Oh, uh, early. I was uh, I was always a little singer. You know, from the time I, that I started listening to radio as a little boy, I would sing along with it, and my dad loved that, and he would encourage that in me. And by the time I was ten, I was learning uh, the ukulele and little folk songs and things like that. And then uh, shortly after that, you know, the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan, and I just like many guys of my generation that just that changed everything i remember that telecast like it was yesterday man nation was mesmerized i really do first song all my love yep yep you know (laughs) (laughs) their little suits and narrow ties Uh, yeah i mean i I remember seeing that and i you know i was a little kid i was too little for sports and all these things and when i saw those guys up there making those girls squeal i said (laughs) i want to try that so uh you know it wasn't long before i was uh learning beatles songs on that ukulele and then um and I found a few friends who had the same aspirations. And I mean, in no time we had a little band. We call ourselves the Flying Beatles. <laughs> and um, eventually the Ukes and the Bongos gave way to um, guitars and drums. And, and we became buddies, buddies. <laughs> and, uh, and then we were quite a, a local hit, you know, around Macon, Georgia. We played um, all the way through our teen years, uh, through high school, um, doing you know, local dances and civic clubs and things like that. Yeah. You told the story of coming to Christ and that, that transition, which was, was wonderful to hear. Mm-hmm. What was happening musically and how did that change? Did that raise any questions in your mind about what am I doing with music and can I continue with music? Yeah, well, you know, it. Uh, I mean, initially it didn't. I just, I knew I wanted to, uh, I wanted to give music another sh- shot with a different attitude. But I was still thinking, you know, that my... Uh, that my destiny was going to be in some secular direction. You okay, know? all right. I mean, as, I didn't really know anything about Christian music. I didn't. Um, it, Christian music to me was just what you sang in church. Mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so um, I was becoming aware a little bit of contemporary Christian music, and I had I had actually had a good friend, Mark Hurd, who was yes, who was in that. Boy, he what was a songwriter, great songwriter, oh. and he was a little bit on the fringes, you know. Um, and that's a whole other story. He, yeah. His his was a real his. He was a great encouragement to me early on, but uh, his music was. But but I was really thinking I'd be in country music or something. And I, as I said earlier, I got the job with Jerry Reed, um, who was a great country music entertainer, and that moved me to Nashville. And um, uh, as I toured around with him, I think over the next few years, you know, I was growing as a baby Christian, 
And um, I kind of had new eyes. So all of a sudden, you know, as I saw someone who was as successful as, as Jerry, I mean, he had achieved everything that I was aspiring to. But it looked a little empty. I mean, it was like, gosh, do, do I really just want to be in a hillbilly bus going down the road and playing big honky-tonks like Gillies? Or it, I don't know the trappings of it. Any, it all started losing its appeal to me. And so I really started thinking after three or four years of being with Jerry that I, that I would um, maybe go back to school. And, you know, I would, I'd been an English major in college. And I thought, I'll just teach and play music on the side. And about that time, I'd been writing songs um, about my faith learning a little bit more about um, Christian music. And anyway, I came to the attention of a guy named Bob McKenzie. And um, Bob was a mover and a shaker. And a good friend of of Bill Gaither. And um, uh, he offered me, he heard my music, gave me some good advice, um, offered to cut some of my original songs. And that brought me to the attention of Bill. He introduced us. Bill liked what I was doing because it was different. You know, it wasn't informed by contemporary Christian music as much as it was informed by Jerry Reed and bluegrass and all this, yeah, you know, sort right. of There's, a, there's a difference there. Yeah. And what's the time frame here? This would have been about 85, 86, okay. something like that when I was working on my first album. And so um, I remember Bill invited me to Praise Gathering and um, I was still had the job with Jerry, but I went up there and, uh, you know, here I was this unknown. Bill introduced me and I did some song that night and, and got a great reaction from the people. That led to Bill asking me to go out on tour with him, and I had to turn it down because it wasn't a full job. You know, it was like a couple of months of touring, and I said, you know, I got, I got to keep this job that I've got. Well, I mean, the next day, um, I got let go at, at by Jerry Reed's organization because they were having to cut back, and they kind of knew I had aspirations in another, and they knew about the album and all this stuff, so... I mean, I've never been so happy to be fired in my life. You know, I, got, I got my that made my, your mind up for you. That's right. I got my my uh, my two weeks pay, and I went did somersaults out the door and called Bill and said, "Hey, man, I'll take I'll still go on tour if you want me." And I did that, and it was just a great place for me to land because Bill understands the value of entertainment and yeah. what he does. A real mentor to you, yeah. wasn't he? And yeah. I was real confused about you know how does an entertainer really navigate the world of Christian music. Mm-hmm. And, and Bill, rather than stifle that, really showed me how that, you know, you know, there's nothing wrong with being an entertainer, you know. Um, you know, and, and he was very also, I mean, you, you knew also that, that the main thing Bill wanted to do was bring people into the presence of Christ right. and, and have an experience with the body of Christ, you know. And all of that appealed to me. So, so I really just kind of sat on Bill's stage for, you know, couple of years and and played two or three songs a night and <laughs> played harmonica in the background and took notes and and uh and saw wow yeah this is something i'd like to do and it really opened the door for that uh someone has said that we we don't get the life that we deserve but we get the life that god designs for us but well, when you look back now uh you know go back over all these these well decades i'll be honest yeah and a long time and see how god has traced uh, your life out for you yeah, that's that's well put. You do get the you get his design on your life. I mean, you give you give God your dreams, you know, and then he gives you back the thing that's ordered by him. And it's it, it may resemble your dreams a little bit, but it's so much different and so much better. Well, he gives us the desires of our heart. He does give us desire, you know, and he, a lot of times we don't know what those desires are. And we have some sort of 
um, tainted version of it. I mean, for me, you know, I, I, I wanted to see one day we'll see my picture on the cover of Rolling Stone or something like that. You know, I was like, I was wanted fame and fortune and all that. And I have escaped all of that, Wayne. <laughs> uh, it's what, what I have, I, well, first of all, I've got an amazing wife of 30 years now. I've got two amazing children who are growing into beautiful adults. Uh, I've got a son-in-law. Um, and hopefully we'll have some grandkids before too long, you know, but it's, you know, those things are the most important thing to me. And, and I think that if I'd have chased the dreams the way I want them, uh, that, that wouldn't happen, or it may have been disrupted in some way. So I thank God for that. And then I thank God that I've, uh, been able to, um, you know, for a long time I was strictly a Christian musician. And I have to admit that after 10 or 12 years of that, I really felt boxed in. And, and I think what God was showing me there was, you know, until you get out of the salt shaker, um, you're not realizing your purpose here in this world. You know, we're, we're witnesses for a reason, you know, we, so, um, I'd say for the last 10 or 12 years to realize that I'm not a, so much a Christian musician as I am a Christian who is a musician. Skillfully disguised. Yeah. I mean, that's my trade. And, and so, therefore, um, I don't limit what I do to the church or, or to just Christian-sponsored events or things like that. I get a, a lot of good opportunities these days to go play in music clubs or at festivals and things like that that would be called secular or whatever. But what it is, it's a chance for me to go and meet people. It's a chance for me to go and sing the gospel, uh, to be a musician, to help out, uh, make new friends. And uh, gosh, I love that. And uh, one, of the, one of the greatest validations I had was one night standing in a club and the sound man, we'd had a great night and we'd sung gospel music. We'd sung Doc Watson music. We'd sung Beatles. We'd done all this stuff. People had had a great time. And, and as they left, I was standing there and I, I thanked the... Sam and I said, man, you did a great job tonight. I just totally relaxed and I didn't have to worry about the sound and thank you for doing a good job. And he just smiled. He was a big old guy. He smiled and he put his arm around me and he said, I like what you do. And here was from a guy who I knew he was not a church goer, but that night I think he had, he had smelled the fragrance of Christ and it smelled good. Man, that was, that was a really great confirmation for me. <laughs> Well, if you're not familiar with Buddy Green's music, I hope you will take time to listen to some samples online and get to know this man who is so talented and sings his music for all the right reasons. We'll place links to Buddy on our webpage, firstpersoninterview.com. One extra thing that we will do is provide a link to another special radio program I did with Buddy a few years ago in the studio with our friends Michael Card and Jeff Taylor. We had a fun time in the studio that day with the guys playing music live and just being themselves. So if you'd like to listen to Happy Man, a radio special, just go to firstpersoninterview.com and look for the link. You'll be able to listen to a very special hour of music featuring Buddy Green. That same website also has information about what's coming up in the weeks ahead on First Person. And if you missed last week's conversation with World Vision President Rich Stearns, you can listen online at firstpersoninterview.com. Well, next week, just prior to this year's National Day of Prayer, our guest will be Dr. Bob Bakke, and we'll talk about the power of prayer in a nation's life, and we'll talk about One Cry coming up real soon. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. I hope you'll join us next time for First Person. First Person.